Happy Friday, everyone! It is morning time around here. It's mid-morning, 10 o'clock here in Kansas, and it's probably afternoon for some of you, but happy Friday nonetheless. Hello, Chris. Hi, honey. Oh, gosh, he's always flirting with me. Um, you guys, we are so excited about this topic. It's actually exciting, and at the same time, it's a little, it's a little heavy, but it's okay. We're going to get through it. It's an important conversation that, that we are wanting to host this morning, and I know that it's something that is on God's heart. And um, oh, goodness gracious, every time I hop on Facebook, all of a sudden, these people want to call me on Messenger. It is the most bizarre thing. So we'll just put that away for now. So anyway, I hope that you brought your hallelujah hankies along with you because things are about to get real up in here. I am on with my really good friends, Vince Reen and Lisa Wallach. Um, Vince, you guys are familiar with. Lisa, you may not know as well. So Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Lisa Wallach, and I am currently living in Westbrook, Connecticut. I just moved out here a couple weeks ago. Um, so yeah, I uh, currently am a barista at Starbucks. That's just my uh, gig to make some money, but my heart is fully to serve the Lord and just let everyone know of his goodness and his heart for them. Awesome. We're so excited to have you on here. We, we, we conjured up this wild, crazy idea uh, last week, actually. And then because of some illness, we didn't end up going live on Friday. But we're here. We're doing this now. There is there's no more delay. We're going to enter into this conversation. And we are talking about what God would consider perverse worship. And um, to, to get us started on this conversation, I think it's really important that you understand where it is that we're coming from and what the Lord has revealed to us. Um, we are um, we have just moved into um, Topeka, Kansas, which is the capital of our state. And um, and it's about 60, 60 minutes from where we are here in Junction City. And so we've been going there every week to to basically just worship the Lord and see what it is that that he wants there. And so we are taking new territory and with that God is revealing the things that he wants taken down or deconstructed or smashed, if you will. I prefer it when he's more violent. Um, and so one of those things is high places of worship. And that's how he worded it, is that there are high places of worship that he wants smashed. And and God has been, he has been very, um, very vocal about what and how he wants this to look. And even went so far as saying he wants a parade and, and, and he wants to be made much of. And, and so that immediately puts us on notice and tells us our worship is off base, right? If, if the Lord is having to come to us and describe to us what he wants fanfare to look like concerning his worth, we need to stop and pay attention because clearly we've got something wrong. And so through the last few weeks, God has been opening our eyes to some things and what these high places of worship actually look like. And one of the places, because I'm sure there's going to be many more of them that he's going to reveal, but one of them is likened to the story of King Saul and the, the tormenting spirit that God sent in his disobedience. 
We know the story of Saul, that um, Israel wanted a king and Saul's just chasing donkeys, right? And um, and the, the people want a king. Samuel says, no, God, don't do this. And um, God knows full well that that's not going to change the heart of the people, that they're not going to relent until you know, they, they have what they want because they wanted to be like the other nations. And um, so God relents and he gives them a king and he sends Samuel on his way to go and find the man looking for his donkeys and and to uh, anoint him as king of Israel. And he does. Um, we're just going to like wrap this story up quickly because there's too many details to get into concerning King Saul. Long story short, God gives him two assignments. Actually, let's go, let's back up just a little bit because I think that this is really important. The first thing that Samuel sends Saul to do is to go meet up with the prophets and to prophesy with them. Now there were pockets of companies of prophets that were a part of of, of the, this tribe. And and seems to me that they just walk along prophesying. <laughs> <laughs> as a company of prophets and 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 Samuel sends Saul off to go and meet up with this company of prophets and he enters in and he immediately begins to prophesy now we have no history of Saul being prophetic in any regard up until this point in fact the people that are watching this encounter are like what's going on here is Saul a prophet and we never knew it. During this this encounter that Saul has with the, the prophets, it says that he is transformed. So clearly we know that God has selected a man, but there's still a transformation that has to take place in order for him to step in and be able to be a king. And and how many of you can say amen to that? Like pull out your hallelujah hanky <laughs> because that's totally me. God, send me to prophesy. I want the transformation. I want the sharpening. I want to be one who can rightly ascribe worth to your name. And um, so anyway, so he's transformed from there. And then God sends him on an assignment and he does two things that um, that. God considers evil. One, he was told to wait for Samuel to show up and sacrifice unto the Lord before they go into a battle. Samuel is delayed in Saul's eyes. It's really important that we understand that. The delay was only in Saul's mind. Samuel knew when he was going to show up. God knew when Samuel was to show up. But Saul grew impatient and wanted to do things in his own way. So he decided to sacrifice unto the Lord on his own, on behalf of his, his, um, his men and, and for them to go in, into battle. Samuel shows up and is like, what have you done? And, you know, they, they clean up that mess. And then he sent in with very specific orders on how to defeat the uh, Amalekite um, army. And, and God says, no one lives, right? Like no one and nothing lives. Spare nothing. Defeat them. Destroy them completely. Saul goes in. They have the favor of the Lord on them. The battle is theirs. And what does Saul do? He keeps the king alive and he takes with him the choicest of the livestock of the Amalekites. Samuel shows up. 
Where did these animals come from? Oh, well, you see Samuel, and he's proud of himself. He's doing things in his own mind again. And he says, I have saved them for a sacrifice unto the Lord. And this is where Samuel just breaks it down for him and says, Saul, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And we know that that God declares over Saul at that point that what he has done is considered evil in the sight of the Lord. And this will be the first instance of finding out that there would be a whole lineage of kings who do evil in the sight of the Lord. And um, from there, God sends a, a tormenting spirit to what I would call haunt him for the rest of his days. And Saul is not repentant over the entire situation. In fact, what he asks is for a cover-up. He asks that Samuel go with him before the council of the people to show that, like for him, that would be showing that he's still in good standing with um, with the Lord. And he wanted to, to fall down and, and worship the Lord with Samuel there. Now, again, this is, this is like, ugh, still, like it's better to obey than, than to sacrifice. And so we know that, that what Saul did from that point was um, look for a way to soothe the tormenting spirit that was affecting his life so greatly. And it's suggested that he find somebody who can play the, the lair. Now, I don't even know what that instrument is, but um, there was one suggested and it was David that he bring David in to um, come and soothe him from the tormenting spirit. And um, this is this is huge. Um, this is the, the, the first time that we have a, a, a real picture of perverse worship unto the, like taking what is rightfully the Lord's and using it for personal gain. All right. I've laid the groundwork. Hopefully I did a, a good job. Um, and, and now we really want to get into why are why are we talking about this? Well, we believe that um, this same tormenting spirit is wreaking havoc on the global church today because of prolonged disobedience. Now, I am not saying that that on this side of the cross that God is sending tormenting spirits, hmm. but once a tormenting spirit is sent, the tormenting spirit is out there, right? And if you leave the door open or an invitation out there for it to come. It, it comes. And, um, and, and so we, we really think that this is what has caused high places of, of worship in, in our nation and quite frankly, in the nations. And, um, and these are the very things that God is coming against right now. He is, he is over it. it God has said over and over enough is enough. He wants these high places of worship to be dismantled because he knows that he is worthy to be praised, right? So Vince, why don't you jump in here? Oh, uh, this is, that was some great groundwork. Thank uh, you. Well done. <laughs> this, this has been an interesting discussion for us because we are looking at the state of, of worship that we experience, that we are able to observe and, and see uh, from around the world. And and one of the things that uh, is is really kind of curious is the the big production of the whole thing. 
what is behind this enormous production of of lights and, and the, the cameras and the smoke and all the different things that that go along with this and one of the things we're we're questioning is 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 what is that and what's what's behind it is that something that is uh used to mask uh, worship it, it's just a, a tormenting spirit allowing itself to be soothed through this grand performance uh, only to deceive us to say, yes, that is the formula right there to calm your mind, mm -hmm. to get peace. And we know for, for a fact that a clear mind, uh, a renewed mind comes through Jesus. And if you're taking worship and you're breaking it down to its just base level of lifting Jesus high and uh, ascribing worth to him, to the, the Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundations of the world. If, if that is what we are doing in worship, then all of the other things can just be stripped away. Mm -hmm. But what that does is that's going to uh, aggravate and, and irritate and, and grate on anything that is, is tormenting a person because it doesn't want that, uh, doesn't want to be separated from that person. It wants to stay. It wants to continue to do it's work of dividing that person from oneness, dividing that person from union with, with Jesus and, and with the people that are, are around them in that body. And so th this grandiose production is, is likely just covering up something and, and suppressing what the real purpose is there. And, and I'm not trying to throw shade at, at, the big productions of worship, but I'm questioning why they're necessary. Right. Why is it necessary for someone to need this grand production to be able to enter in and ascribe worth to Jesus? Uh, I know um, I wasn't raised in that environment with, with um, musical instruments. It was strictly just singing. And uh, I'm not saying that's right either, but uh we really have to take a look at it because it, it is uh, perverting worship if the motivation gets outside of, of lifting Jesus high and ascribing worth to him. Because worship actually, it, it, it should be a vehicle to transformation because we're ascending, right? We are ascending. Our worship should create an avenue for ascension to draw near to Christ within the Father's house. You can't enter into the Father's house without being transformed. Now, here's the problem. We're not seeing transformation. We're not seeing that take place. And so that's where we can point to our worship is perverse because the transformation that is intended by drawing near to, to, the, to our own likeness and becoming righteous is not happening by and large. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not casting judgment on everybody that's listening, saying that you have not been transformed. You are not like Christ. I'm talking about the global church that, that we have, we have continued to gather together to make much of our production. And there is little to no transformation on the backside of it. Lisa. Yeah. I mean, I, as you were talking about, I was just thinking it is quite literal smoke and mirrors. Like that's what it is, like the production now. And it's, I see two things wrong with it. It's the, you know, it's 
do things with excellence. Yes, but that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing perfection. People are wanting perfectionism. Like it has to look perfect. It's all about the appearance and it's not actually about the actually truly worshiping the Lord. And then also the other aspect of thinking about if we're going into a place of worship so that we feel better, that is so twisted. That is not, I mean, I, and I know that even seems like we don't do that, but actually, yes, quite often people are going to church, they're going to worship so that they can feel better. It's just, there's no difference actually between what Saul was after with the tormenting the spirit and what we're doing with worship. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. Like it's supposed to be ascribing work to him and through our ascribing work to him. Yes, we do have, we do get to experience joy, peace, all those things, but it's not, it's not, un, that's not unto that. It's just a, it's, it's a, it's what comes from that place. Right. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so we know, let's talk about David for a minute. Why was David so effective in being able to soothe Saul from this tormenting spirit? Because of the relationship that was created and carved out through his intimate times of worship before the Lord. It's just him and the sheep right? This is where David is instructed in worship. This is where David first learns to ascend, is in spaces of worship that was created through the vehicle of intimacy with the Father. David learned to ascend. He learned how to worship, how to ascribe worth unto the King of Kings, and he regarded him. When we when we have set up altars of worship that are unto performance, this is where we get into the, the the perverse category. This is where we get into idolatry rather than it being a sacrifice of praise. What, uh, to, to learn to ascribe worth rightly to who Jesus is. I mean, like we are so performance driven that, that we can't even, we can't even shift in the middle of a worship set. We don't even know how, like if, if Jesus shows up in a different way, we're lost and we don't know how to, to shift to be able to ascribe worth to him in the way that he's showing up because there is no relational wealth, right? I think you said relational capital earlier, Vince, but that we have to start creating a relational wealth with the father and, and, and our currency has to become inheritance. We have to know who we are, or we are going to continue to lead an entire generation astray, thinking that the high place is learning how to perform. We just had a meeting and we were talking about this at length. It's like when church becomes about pulling something off, it's nothing more than theater. And I love that you said it is, it's smoke and mirrors. And then you have to ask, what has changed this side of the cross? These are the very things that, that Jesus was charging the Pharisees with is you are just white washed tombs. You look the part, but on the inside, you are so far from me. So where do we go from here? How do we, how do we, how do we start to transform what worship actually looks like? Vince? Where do we go from here? That's a great question. Um, and, and it's better to obey than sacrifice. Uh, that is, I, I think, a good lead into the story we've been talking about this week also from Acts 16, where 
uh, Paul and his companions are told they, they can't go into an area. Uh, on one side, they are hemmed in by Holy Spirit. And it says on the other side, they are told they can't go by the Spirit of Jesus. And so they are, they are in, on this narrow road. And Paul has a vision in the night. And there is a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. And they wake up immediately and they go. So they knew that from that vision, they were released from that area and told to go over there. And in Acts 16, they go. And the very next part of this story is about the, the girl following them around, declaring that they are sent by Jesus and they are men of God. And uh, she's doing this, though, through uh, what's called the Python spirit. Uh, and so Paul, greatly annoyed, turns around, casts a spirit out of her, which causes a huge uproar with the, the people that uh, would make money uh, from the, the spirit that was on this girl. And so they dragged Paul, his companions, before uh, uh, the court there uh, in the town square and uh, accused them of causing them to lose money. And so uh, the Romans had them, it says, severely beaten and thrown in jail. And the jailer was charged to uh, make sure that they were secured. And so he took them to the very innermost part of the jail and uh, secured their ankles and chained them up. And in the middle of the night, their response, Paul's response was to worship, was to continue to ascribe worth to Jesus. And here is the part where we can miss transformation. Most of us today, we hear God, we hear his call, and we act on it. And the first moment that something comes against us uh, that is counter to that call, we start to question everything. We, we wonder, did we miss it? And, and this, is, this is no indictment on any one person because I, I've done this myself, e even as recent as the last month, right? Did I miss it? Oh my gosh, uh, th this doesn't look like I thought it would. Is something, maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I missed the call, but that's not the case. That's absolutely not the case. I am in the middle of what God has called me to do. And just because things are coming against me does not mean that I missed it. And Paul, in that, after this severe beating, after being thrown in jail and chained up, he knew that he didn't miss it. And so he just continued to worship. He didn't try to uh, repent of, of saying, oh, I, I thought I was following you, God, but I must not be because... I just got beat in public and thrown in jail. Gosh, I mean, that that's not happening to us these days, and yet we're still questioning, did I miss it? Right. And and so we're, we we have this over-the-top response in the wrong direction of, of repentance. And I'm not saying repentance is a bad thing. Uh, Holy Spirit's going to direct you to repentance if that's, if that's what's called for. But in this case, it wasn't. And so they continue to worship, and what happened? Chains fell off, jail cells opened, everybody left. Actually, freedom came to the jailer. And, and so we need to look at that transformation. You know, what are you doing that is demonstrating a transformed life? Yes. This is one of them. You are, are not repenting when you should be worshiping. Hmm. 
Gosh, that's so good. I, I want to go back to the, the woman with the python spirit because this is she she is involved in divination. However, she is still uttering the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is this is usurping worship and perverting it. This is what divination is. She's walking around and she's announcing the lordship of Jesus Christ. However, she's not actually ascribing worth to Jesus Christ. And and some could say, why is this bothering Paul so much? She's walking around declaring who Jesus is. It's because it's by the wrong spirit that worship is being utilized. And this is the same thing that is going on today. We are under the power of divination when we are willing to step into the act of worship just to soothe ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, I know. This is, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. And we have all subscribed to this to some degree because it's just what we have be, become familiar with. And, and we have to learn a better way to enter in. You guys, right now, I think you should just, you should just be willing to claim. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. And, and that has got to be freeing for us to be willing to 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 give up the professionalism of Christianity and 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 render ourselves as learning. I am learning. I'm in a discovery zone right now of what it is that He wants. Because I will tell you the truth right now, Jesus has raised the bar anyway, and none of us know how to rightly ascribe worth to His name. We are in training of what it means to actually ascribe worth to him, to to offer him up the reward that he is so worthy of. So we've got to move away from this this divination. And I realize that when we break it all down like this, we're going, ouch. And it should be painful. We should have to painfully examine where have we been as a people who set themselves under the name and the lordship of Jesus Christ? What have we been doing with it? Well, we have been, we've been um, dabbling in, in divination. That's just, that's just the way it is. And we've done it so that we can attempt to comfort ourselves because of the prolonged disobedience that, that we have um, been willing to partner with. And we've all done it because there hasn't been a demand put on us because the prophets have been silent, because the prophets have been watering down the truth. They have not been prophesying the, the real powerful, true word of the Lord. We mm. have been prophesying under the same kind of agenda where we're attempting to comfort one another rather than sharpen one another. It's by the same spirit that we have done this, where we're like, oh, I just don't want to be offensive. Hmm. We don't get to choose that. We don't get to choose whether we're going to be offensive or not. Our job is to say it like he said it. Jesus said, I only say and do the things that I see my father doing. So we all need to be delivered from this spirit of divination where we're willing to usurp what is actually his to comfort ourselves. And we do this in so many different ways. We, we, we utilize, I'm not having a good day. I, I need a mental health day. And I'm going to use worship to try and soothe myself. And I'm just going to soak. I think the soaking movement served a, a, a purpose, but we have 
carried this out too far to where now this is our only form of worship. I'm just going to soak and make myself feel better. Mm. Actually, what we're doing is prolonging disobedience because the Lord has instructed us to get up and get going. And we, we're, we're still waiting for another sign. Still waiting for the Lord to get clearer or to send. Shoot, you guys, we do this with our collection of prophecies. Well, I'm just going to hop on one more program and see if the Lord confirms that one more time. Mm-hmm. Not what he's looking for. He's looking for the people who were hemmed in one second and that night were given orders and they get up and go the next day. He's looking for radical obedience. And we look at radical obedience as as if it's um not oh gosh what am I even trying to say uh, frivolous mm-hmm. that it's just it's frivolous and we're not being wise you want to know what is unwise you want to know what is foolish to prolong disobedience we are missing out on what it is that he has for us by prolonging disobedience soaking makes me vomit. <laughs> Oh, Chris, I enjoy you. Oh, gosh. This is it's, it's such an important topic. And we have to be those who are willing to partner with the Lord to deconstruct these things. Now, on Wednesday night, Vince, uh, John and I had gone to Topeka to, to worship with Pepper and, and Virginia. And in the middle of this, I mean, you guys, sometimes when, when you're with an intercessor, Pepper is an intercessor. When you're with an intercessor, you're like traveling in prayer. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just how my mind wants to, to grab hold of it. She she begins to to intercede. And, and if you get into that flow with her, you begin to travel somewhere in prayer. And she was talking about ascending a hill in the middle of this prayer. I'm ascending this hill and I am with the Lord. And then she announces, and this is not the hill of the Lord. This is the hill that you are leading us up to, to smash, to bring about a better way of worship. And she was just declaring that, that there is a, there's a higher worship that God is bringing for us to encounter him in. And so I was just like, I mean, the revelation that was in the room was like none other. And, And we were just like really learning to wrap our minds around what it is that God is saying. Like he's going to use us to ascend these perverse hills of worship to smash. How else do you think it's going to happen? Right? But mm-hmm. clearly I'm passionate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the prolonged disobedience is, is something that we have to take a hard look at. We, we, we really do. And we know that um, around here, God has been saying for the last few months, um, get on board with the call in your life or just don't come back around here. And that's kind of the hard stance we've been taking about following the call in your life. It, it just feels like anything outside of radical obedience is just uh, setting yourself up for failure. Now, don't misunderstand. God still loves you. That doesn't change. Um, but the the promise that he is is showing you and, and offering you, uh, it, it's, it's never going to come to a full realization if you're just sitting there. If you decide to uh, 
not step into transformation and uh, allow people to see that demonstrated, I don't, I don't know what to say. Mm. Uh, you're just uh, prolonging disobedience and uh, any kind of delay to obedience is in fact disobedience. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa. Um, I just wanted to, what two different things that just, what you said, and I just made me think about when you were talking about Pepper and how she saw, you know, going up the hill. And I think um, we too, like, we actually don't, it starts with not even knowing what God, who God is and what he's actually asking. Like, like we feel like, you know, if it's not good, if everything's not all, you know, sunshine and roses, then we're in disobedience or that we're doing something wrong or that we've missed the call. And if we're not careful, like it could be seen that going up that hill, oh, this is good. I'm going up the hill, I'm ascending. And it's actually like, no, this is a hill that needs to be smashed. And it's a high place. But if we aren't, in tune and we i just like what you said about we're learning like we just have to scratch everything that we know and that is so true because if we are looking at hard things coming against us as oh i'm missing it i'm i i missed it like that but that is what the culture there's you know such a culture of you know god is love and you know squishy jesus that whole thing and it's like no he is he is demanding something of us. He is asking us to get up and get going. And we can't, we can't stop at every hard thing that comes against us and question, are, am I missing it? Did I miss it? And it's like, no, this is more often than not. I'm sure those hard, those things are coming up against are actually like a sign that we're doing the thing that we're right. supposed to be doing. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to add that. Yeah, no, that's so valuable. I, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I cringe thinking about this just now when you're, you're bringing that up is, is how many times have I looked at somebody else's situation where something has come against them and said, oh, that's probably not of God, what you've been doing, because look at the, the fruit of this thing or look at the, the circumstance you're now in. Right. That's kind of that's kind of convicting to look at it from another perspective of not. Right. Uh, pointing that accusation at myself, but at, at somebody else. Right. Well, and I, I think that I, because, and, and I'm speaking, especially for those of us that, that have been raised up under the American dream, right? I mean, that, that idea has, um, has definitely infiltrated the American church and that, that, you know, if, if we don't have, you know, the, the four cars and the $400,000 house and the picket fence and, 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 and all of that, we've regarded that as fruit, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so when, um, when, when those things begin to be stripped away, that's when you can be looking at it and going like, oh my gosh, I missed it. Lord, whatever it is that I have done, I repent of, right? And, and, and instead of entering in like the, the boys in, in the prison, you know, Paul and Silas, they enter into radical worship it, it, when, when they have everything coming against them. And, and so I think it's so important that, that we, um, we begin to understand what the fruit of the spirit actually looks like in one another's lives, because otherwise we're going to stand and judge the ruins. And that is not our job. 
Our job is not to stand and judge the ruins because I know full well that, that God will begin to strip things off of our lives that are going to hinder mm-hmm. his intention. The thing that he is wanting mm-hmm. to produce oftentimes requires things to be stripped away. I know for myself, God was very clear prophetically with me that I am doing a heart transplant. I'm removing your American heart for a global heart. And these are the moments when we can become very haughty if we aren't careful. Oh my gosh, God's given me a global heart. That means I'm the, you know, and and we can, we can buy into our own fanfare and, and, and not lean in. Holy spirit. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for what, what are you doing? And what is this going to look like? Because I can tell you that I would have never guessed that it was going to look the way that it has transpired. It has been costly and painful to have a heart transplant like this. And I don't think he's done. I don't think he's done yet. And so we could very easily look at scenarios like that. And I can only speak for myself because that's what's intimate to me. That's what I know full well. I have stood and judged my own ruins that was brought about by the hand of the Lord. And it's no different than Job surrounding himself with a council of people that did not rightly understand the intent of the Father. And we do this to one another all the time. You will know them by their love. You'll know them by their love. Now, when we see love being stripped away, then we can start going, hold on a second. Like there's something amiss here. You, you've you gone astray. And, and, and to that, we, you guys, it is so important that we are surrounded by a tribe of people who know the call on our lives because we will have moments like, like Paul and Silas where things come against us and, and we could wrongly judge these ruins. I mean, they were bloodied. They were beaten. Talk about pain. We're talking about physical pain. They held each other accountable that God led us here and he is worthy to be praised, right? We need those people in our lives that are going to stand and say, stop your whining. You are okay. You need to enter into ascribing worth to Jesus in this place. It's, It's what he's worthy of because there is evidence of God on your life through the fruit of the spirit. We just, we need new eyes. We need fresh eyes. We need fresh perspective. We need to be able to see things the way that Jesus sees things. You know, that's why I, I love the reminder that we have in Isaiah 11 that tells us that the Messiah, he was not going to be judging things, but based on what his eyes saw or what his ears heard, he was going to get all of his intel, all of his information from the Lord, from his father. And we don't lean into that nearly as often as we should. We lean into our own wisdom, into our own understanding. And quite frankly, it's flawed. And that's what leads us to divination. Hmm. And then we lean into the understanding of Google and the understanding of someone else way before we lean into the understanding of God. Yeah. And we have to remember that we are not victims. We are co-seated 
with the victor. We start from a place of victory. Amen. Yeah. Lisa. Amen. Um, yeah, I just, I just, um, I love what you're saying about the eyes, like that we need, I just, that we need like an eye transplant pretty much. Like we need to be able to see with the eyes of heaven and thinking about the story in Acts where they went, I, I just had it, you know, drop like, of course, like that's where we're going to get the correct intel. That's where we're going to get our, you know, the next step. What we're supposed to do is when we go into immediately go into that place of worship. When we're, when we take our eyes off of our situation, take our eyes off of what's going on, whatever prison we find ourselves in and, and ascribe worth to the Lord, that, that, it, that's strengthening. And then that's where we get the correct vision of what to do next with whatever it is that we're facing. Right. No, that's so good. And I love what Chris is saying here about learning to worship in spirit and truth. And that's exactly what Jesus broke down for the, the, the Samaritan woman at the well. She her her biggest complaint, the, the one thing that, that she rebuttaled in that whole conversation is that We've, we've had our worship place taken from us because now the only appropriate place to worship is in the temple. And we used to worship our God here on this, this mountain. Mm. And Jesus responds to her and says, a time is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain or in the temple, but you will, you will worship in spirit and in truth, that it'll be about a heart posture, not about a place. And that's what we need to get to, because oftentimes we we reserve our the in, the entirety of our spiritual interaction for Sunday morning, because we have been so conditioned that this only takes place in the temple, in the church, right? Like it, it's about a location, and and it, it's not the 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 church. The Sunday morning encounter should be about training. It should be about ascending. It should be about going in to the house of the Lord and bringing back what is necessary to expand the kingdom on the earth. And it's not. It's the place that we go right now to console our tormented soul, right? Mm-hmm. And and this is where we've gone awry because we should be a people that that are gathering. And Vincent, I hate this word. <laughs> If we're going to gather, let's gather with some purpose. Let's gather for the advancing of the kingdom of God and not just to, to, to console ourselves. We have to have real transformation and that's not going to take place just on a Sunday morning. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, you know, I I think to, to really identify who, who are the people that we're talking about here? We're talking about people like us, you know, we're talking pe- to people like you who, who have, um, who have been content to, to sit in prolonged disobedience. What has the Lord asked you to do over the years that you're, you're not doing? How is it that you are usurping worship that is, that is unto the King to console you right where you're at? How are you utilizing worship to wrap yourself up just to make you feel better about where you're staying in your stuck place? And, and it's not just worship. There, there are people that, that have a whole routine of, um, 
of, you know, well, I've got this program that I follow and, and this person that I listen to, and there's no transformation coming from it. You guys, transformation has to be one of the first indicators that, that we're looking at to go like, okay, that's working for you. You know, I, I, I'm very aware of some different scenarios of, of people that, that are doing the same things over and over and over again, and, and there's no fruit on it. There is no indication of transformation taking place. And, and I'm not saying that the things that they're doing are bad. They're, they're spiritual things. You know, the things that they're listening to are good. But the problem is the heart posture is, is not to listen to these things, to wrap themselves in worship for ascending or for transforming. It's for consoling. Yes, it, it's, it's formulas. It's worship formulas. And it's that we have created systems of worship and worship isn't supposed to be systematic. Vince? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's where we wind up uh, with, with like what Pepper's saying, these formula and, and these these things where we look at a, a certain style of worship and say, oh, that's it right there. That's the way it's supposed to be done. And so we want to try to replicate that in every area when we know that what's happening uh, in the unseen realm is not the same from one area to the next, from here to an hour down the road in Topeka, uh, what's going on in the spirit realm is not exactly the same. Right. And so the expression uh, of worship to tear down the high places there is going to be different than it is here. That's so good. And that's what we do. Oh my gosh. It's what we do. We love formulas. We rely on formulas. I mean, honestly, that this is where things become idolatry is because of the formulas we want to create. It's like it's like the the fellows that follow Jesus up the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, right? And their response to this moment is, "Let's build, let's build an altar, <laughs> let's stay here forever." <laughs> well, it's the easy way. It's yeah. the easy way to do it. And, and, and that's, it. I think, why we like systems. It's why because it makes systems. life easy. Right. We don't have to think. We don't have to press in. We can just, oh, let's uh, pick this model up and set it down over here and say we're good. Right. Yeah. And, and we do. We, we, go through this, we go through the same formula over and over and over again. And again, the problem with that is if there's not constant transformation, because you guys, we are to be changed from glory to glory on a regular basis. We are supposed to move from glory to glory on a regular basis. If you are still stuck five years back, I, I'll even say five months ago, if you are still in the same place as you were five months ago, there is an issue of probably idolatry where, where you are now using the spiritual things that began to happen five months ago to console yourself and you are in a stuck place because you need to be moving on a regular basis. You need to be transforming because the kingdom of God is advancing and you should be advancing with it. And so, so what do we do about this? How do we get out of this? I really believe that, that for some, this is going to take deliverance. But first of all, you have to acknowledge it. Am I in a stuck place? Am I wrongly using spiritual things to console myself in this stuck place? You know, it's the same thing with Israel. Israel thinks that, I mean, they have the answer. They have the solution, feeding them out of his hands. 
and they're still asking for a king. So essentially what they're doing is they're asking for somebody to come in and master them. And it's very similar to what we're still doing today. We are in these stuck places, consoling ourselves with worship. And when that doesn't work, we're asking for things to come in and master us. Whatever it is that, that we're using as a numbing agent to not have to face life is mastering us. And it's no different than asking the Lord for a king to rule over you. Yeah, there's no sustainment there. You'll never be able to sustain transformation when you're looking for something to master you other than God. Right. And and even in that relationship of, of mastery there, there is still relationship, which shows a, a partnership because there is a partnership that that is there as well. Right. And so we're not just um, little toys being shuffled around we are in relationship right right and and i think you know i i love i i love to point back to in revelation 19 where it says that um hold on that the testimony of jesus christ is the spirit of prophecy and and i think when when we create systems when say chris who chris here in scotland right i believe that's right um is that right i don't know it doesn't matter anyway he's not here and if he were to take a, an encounter that he had here in junction city kansas and try to to model that in a different country where he is from that is not the testimony of Jesus Christ there, right? Like that's that's taking something and creating a system that is eventually going to transform into an idol if it's if it's continued to be used over and over again. See, God is so vast that there is an endless testimony of who he is by laying hold of the prophetic to be able to do what it is at any given moment that he wants done. We have to learn to yield to the spirit so that we can rightly testify of who Jesus is. I mean, it says in scripture that if everything that Jesus did while on the earth wouldn't be able to be held in the books, because it's so much and you never see Jesus doing the same thing twice. Yeah. How many times did he heal a blind person with mud and spit? Right. Once. It did not become the model of how to do it. Yeah. Just not how did. he does things. <laughs> He's creative. Yes, he is. I, I wish it did. Cause that would be fun. <laughs> Right. But it's like, you know, and, and I, I don't even know, I need to check in to see, you know, what has manifested since Wednesday night, but God was inviting us into partnering with healing and, um, and God had shown me in a vision the day before that he wanted to heal hearing. And, and I was kind of, you know, like unsure as to whether, you know, how, how to enter into that, or should I enter into that? Is this something to know or something to do? And, um, and to be quite honest, probably even, you know, dragging my feet. This is an honest moment. Um, <laughs> but in the middle of worship on Wednesday, God brings it up again. And this time he pulls out an entire ear 
and sets it before me. And if you've never seen an entire ear with all of the parts attached to it that go into the ear and connect to different things, I mean, it's an ear with things hanging from it, (laughs) which was kind of weird. I'll be honest, but um, I've never seen that done before. I've never, I've never heard of that being done before. So this is a moment for me to be able to partner with the spirit of, of prophecy to testify of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I did it to the best of my ability. It just stepped up. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm seeing. And, and we're just going to do it. And there was a lady there who has trouble with hearing. And so obviously it was her. And, <laughs> and we just, we just stepped out. Did we do it right? I don't even know. All I know is that we did it. We entered into that space to be able to give the Lamb of God what he is worthy of. Mm-hmm. That's all I know to do. I, 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 we are going to miss it. It's okay if we miss it. The difference between Saul's disobedience and David's disobedience is relationship. Yep. Right. He had relational wealth with the Lord. And so he knew he could lean into that and, and be sorry. He knew there was margin for repentance. He knew that there was a way to turn back around and face Jesus. Saul didn't know that because he never tested the relationship. And that's what we do when we sit back and we hear the word of the Lord and we do nothing about it. We prolong disobedience and enter into divination. Mm-hmm. And we've got to stop. And honestly, you guys, God is not difficult. He's not difficult. This is a a turning around. This is a God. This is me. And I've missed it. God, I have wrongly used your worship. I've wrongly used things that are, are intended to ascribe worth to your name that I benefit from to console myself and allow myself to stay stuck. I have stopped the testimony of Jesus Christ because of my willingness to partner with disobedience. And then move on. Do the next thing he shows you. And you're not, stop with the perfectionism. Just step into it. You don't have to know exactly what it's going to look like. I think that that's what we've gotten into with our performance Christianity is it has to look and appear a certain way. It needs to be shiny and spectacular. Radical obedience is shiny and spectacular in the eyes of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Do Which it flawed. Do it flawed. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. Last words. You know, I, I just, uh, I like the question that, that Chris posed. Am I using spiritual things to console myself? Uh, I, I think that's an honest question to, to ask yourself in conversation with Holy Spirit. Yeah. Don't do it on your own. Yep. And I would, I would just like to add, um, yeah, like, let the Lord have fun with you. Like he wants to do things in unusual and new ways. This whole idea of everything having to be the same. No, we need to just get out of that. He wants to, he wants to heal in creative ways. It's not every time we don't have to go up to the warehouse in heaven and grab down a part from the warehouse. And you know, that's not, he, he is creative and it's get, we get to partner with him and, and not be another thing is like fear of failure. Just, just got to get that off the table too. 
and mm-hmm. and just fail forward with the Lord. Right. Yeah, because he isn't. He's not looking for, he's just not looking for perfection at all. He's just looking yeah. for obedience. Yeah. So let me pray. I just want to pray for us. Father, right now, we thank you for the revelation that is opening our eyes to what has been going on in and through us and around us. And right now, we are choosing to turn and face you because we know that there is a better way. And God, right now, we yield to a higher way of worship. We yield to a better way of worship. And God, we repent for usurping worship that was intended to ascribe your worth to console ourselves and allow us to be stuck. And we repent of the disobedience. We repent of the prolonged disobedience to even the little things that we thought were meaningless, but meant a whole lot to you. Now that we will no longer weigh things by our own understanding, but we would just say yes, and we would do it to the best of our ability. And Father, we just thank you that you are going to begin to open up ways, new ways of ascribing worth to your name that will level these high places of worship that you are calling divination, that you are calling idolatrous. And God, we partner with you. We're saying, pick me, pick me to ascend this wicked mountain and allow my worship unto you to be the thing that begins to level it. Mm. My partnership, my my partnering with the spirit of prophecy to testify of your name, Jesus, loud and clear. Father, we just love being yours. Mm. Love being yours. It's an honor and a privilege to serve under your name. And teach us, teach our hearts to rightly regard you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And teach us to worship in spirit and in truth. Yes. Yes. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Mm. Guys, thank you for joining me this morning. I, I, I love this conversation. It's, it's a hard topic. And I know we're not there yet, but we're willing, right? It's the willingness to partner with the Lord that that matters and and our willingness to say yes uh, every step of the way when he says, not right now, go, you know, (laughs) and this is very real to to us right now. It's like, no, now. (laughs) And so it's like really like learning to yield to his voice and, and, and desiring deeply to be one with him that's going to, to, to lead us to be able to advance his kingdom the way that he wants it advanced. So friends that have joined us, guys, thank you for being in tune with us. Thank you for, for jumping in in the comments and sharing your thoughts. We greatly appreciate that. And we just bless the rest of your weekend. Yes. And we'll see you soon. Bye.